What's going on, everyone? I'm Dustin Stelzer with Electrician U. Today, we've got a very special guest, Jordan Farley from Artisan Electrics. Hello. Welcome. Welcome to the show, my friend. So um, nice to be joining you by the wonders of the internet. Yeah. <laughs> it's so funny. Like, this is how we have to interact with people. Used to, used to be able to travel, but now everybody does it through a screen. Yeah. It's um, cheaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, so how does everything, first off, actually, just go into who you are and, and what you do for people on my channel that don't already know who you are. So I'm like the British version of Dustin, except not, <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, but he, he's like what I aspire to be, right? Uh, oh. so, <laughs> so basically, I'm an electrician and I've got a YouTube channel and um yeah, I've been doing, I, I set up the channel actually around the same time as you, Dustin, um, in 2016 when I set up my business, but I didn't really do much with it for a while. And then I just started posting a few videos and it started blowing up probably like you found as well. And it just, it became a thing, you know, so I've gone from working basically by myself to having, you know, guys helping me out now. I've got a few employees now. I've got some admin stuff in the office and I'm still a little bit on the tools, but I'm mostly kind of running the business and also doing loads of YouTube content, trying to anyway, trying to post three videos a week uh, and yeah. trying to make them entertaining and educational, it, which as you probably know, is really, really a lot of work. <laughs> it is. Uh, but, but it's fun and I love it and I love the electrical industry. So um, yeah, I'm so happy to meet you because I've been watching your videos since I think episode three, I actually was the one that I first discovered you. Really? Um, yeah, you were talking about business related stuff and, you know, what the magic of YouTube, it just threw, threw at me. It's like YouTube's algorithm must have known that I was an electrician and I was starting an electrical business. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I was at the same stage as you at the time where you were kind of like figuring stuff out, like what marketing, what advertising works, what doesn't. And you were just in that video, you were just sharing your kind of experience so far and hoping that it might help some other people. Yeah. Uh, and, it, and it actually did help me, even though we're in slight, you know, we're on the other side of the world. I'm in, in uh, England and you're in America. There was a lot of things that were kind of the same. So I found that video really interesting. And um yeah, I, it's weird. Like probably subconsciously, that is part of why I ended up posting videos as well. So it's probably thanks to you that I have this channel partly anyway. That's awesome. I do remember. Uh, so like when I first started, I remember specific names of people that would comment because mm -hmm. when I started out, like I didn't have very many people watching my stuff. So there was a few people that would just comment on a couple different videos. And I do remember always seeing your name. And then I... Um, the more that you commented and we kind of exchanged little comments from time to time. And then I saw you on Instagram and then I started watching some of your videos and uh, I've just kind of hung on to that. So uh, I've been watching your stuff too. And, and you've definitely be, been getting a lot better. There's a lot more going on. So um, I've been watching some of the, like you had a, a job that you did where you went out and did some like charging stations and there was two vehicles that pulled up and they both had your logo on them. And I was like, Oh bro, he's like, he's, you know, he's developing, he's growing. It's really cool. Cause like the first stuff that you, that I watched of yours, it was just like you, it was really crude and it was just sitting at a desk uh, talking about stuff. And I was like, I remember those days too. I remember yeah. when it was like just, uh, the nuts and bolts, but it seems like you're really figuring it out, man. You're doing good. Thanks. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, as things progress, you start to realize the potential that something has. And I kind of realized that more I invest in the quality of the videos, the more, 
you know the viewers will enjoy the videos and the more it will grow and it's kind of got to the point now where it's a business on its own so like yeah. you're probably finding you can actually you can make a living off of it when it gets to a certain stage so now i'm able to put a little bit more time and money into it to make the content better which is is nice because yeah i mean for the last few couple of years it's just been me with my phone basically just filming what i'm doing like like yeah. you in the car back in the yeah. day you know <laughs> in, your, in your truck you're like hey what's up guys i'm just here in the truck just <laughs> want to talk to you about what's going through my head <laughs> yeah uh, but i love i love that because it was just like it was so raw and honest like the way you talked about stuff it was just so kind of you were just thinking out loud you know about the whole process of this whole thing of running an electrical business and going on your own. And I really resonated with that because I was in a similar sort of stage. Mm -hmm. So, and I guess a lot of people do. Yeah. Uh, surprisingly, I've, I still get a lot of emails from people that watch my journey to master channel and they're like, where are you today? And what's going on? You're like where we want more of this content. And it's funny because I've been back doing live wire again. And I've been filming a lot of the same kind of stuff. Like I got a, I got this like triple suction cup thing that I can stick on my window and I can put a, like a full mirrorless, you know, huge camera on and, or I can put anything small. My, my phone doesn't really matter, but I finally got this like thing rigged up in my van so I can just set it over there and drive and it's like it doesn't shake everything looks really good so i've been recording some more uh content like that and it's all it's very much the same thing that it was before it's more like how to treat customers and how to like when you answer the phone don't be a douchebag like really you know be a kind person and be excited about talking to people and you know so i've been starting to do a lot of that again but uh i haven't really known what to do like with the journey to master versus electrician you because this is kind of my mainstay this is what the sponsorship started and a lot of the response from the audience showing people how to do electrical work that seemed to be um the big gig but uh yeah just having that other channel i don't i just don't know what to do with it anymore what i've actually done with mine is because it's quite it's like you say there's quite a niche of people who are interested in the business related content and it's not necessarily those videos are not necessarily going to get the views that doing electrical work videos get yeah. Um, but there's a lot of value in them <laughs> still. So I actually created an online electrician's business course um, where I basically just filmed like I just step by step how I set up my business. I just filmed it all and like explaining it to the camera. I literally just locked myself in my my office for like two weeks, filmed this video course, It's 14 hours of content. Uh, and then I just put it out there for people to to buy if they're interested. And that was that's had quite a lot of traction, actually. So that might be something that you could do from your sort of point of view that were, would probably help a lot of people. Yeah, that's really interesting that you say that um, a lot of content creators kind of get threatened by other content creators because it's like, oh, well, they've already done something. So I don't want to do it because it's already been done. But it's like, no, the reason people watch content creators is because they like their perspective on things. So there might be something that I do that talks about business, but it doesn't resonate with certain people. And when you speak about it, you just kind of cut through to these these people in a different way. So um, it's really interesting. I might I might copy you. <laughs> yeah. And, <man>. uh, <laughs> It's the, the best form of flattery is uh, imitation. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm definitely going to be copying, copying some of your videos. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, Doing the, the British version though, obviously. Yeah. 
<laughs> no, but that's really cool, man. What I've been wanting to do is I actually want to come out there and work with y'all. There's some people like in different countries cool. that are like, oh, we do things this way and do things this way. So I thought it would be really cool to do like a series where I go and travel around to just different parts of the world and kind of record how everybody does work, what kind of like codes and standards y'all have and licenses and just, you know, do a series of, of different countries because like you look at like Russia, everything they do is like block walls and like they're constantly having to like chip out concrete and put boxes in concrete. Like it's a, it's a crazy thing because of how the construction is out there. And then like in Ireland, you know, there's just a bunch of different ways of doing things. So um, maybe yeah, someday I will be able to come out and work with you. That would be awesome. You know, that'd be amazing. I've, I've had the privilege of traveling a little bit and doing volunteer work in different countries and as an electrician. And I, I absolutely loved it. Like I've worked in South Africa, Croatia, the Netherlands. Really? And, and, they, and they all have different ways of doing things and you, and you learn, you know. Uh, yeah. And it helps you to think outside the box so that you can then apply that way where, where you are, maybe, you know, still within the code, but a, a different way of doing things. You know, it's, it's quite cool. Well, so if you're going to these other countries, you have your code from where you're from. Do you find a lot of these places have their own codes or there's no codes and you're just trying to apply your knowledge? Yeah. So like in the Netherlands, they've got their own code, but it's based on the British standard. That's that's one of the good things about being from the UK is that we were one of the first countries, I think, to set up a standard for electrical wiring so a lot of the other countries came later and they kind of based theirs on us so there's a lot of commonality um but there's a lot of differences as well so like i mean in the netherlands for example they run what we call flexible conduit in the walls and they put these like boxes in and then they pull wires in whereas we just put cables in in the walls which yeah. i don't really like i think it's much better to put conduit in and then if anything goes wrong later you can just pull in new wires we're like really not future-proofed when it comes to wiring up new houses and stuff i think you guys probably have the same right you put a lot of conduit in uh not in residences there are some places in the u.s that their code their local municipalities require them to do conduit in everything um, yeah. but most of the country is not that way. We usually just have rolls of wire and we drill holes through walls and pull our wire in. Okay. Yeah. That's similar to us then. It, someone was messaging me on Instagram the other day and he was asking me some questions and he was like, do you guys use Romex or do you use cable? And I was like, let me check what is Romex. <laughs> and it, and it, that's it, all it, seems, we use. it seems to be similar to what we use, which is, uh, what we call flat twin and earth cable. So it's like, it's a flat cable, a little bit like. I think like Romex and then it's got a live and neutral conductor or line and neutral conductor. And then it's got a CPC in it, but the CPC with ours is not, um, it's not sheathed. It's not like insulated. So it's just bare. Yeah. Ours is. Um, as well. Oh, okay. Oh, good. I'm glad it's not just the UK, but I get so many comments from people like, why is there yeah. a bare conductor? Why wouldn't you put insulation on it? And I'm like, I think that's pretty standard. Yeah. Yeah, me too. I mean, I, I kind of get it because you have to put earth sleeving on every time, which seems like a waste of time. But Oh, see, yeah, we yeah. don't have to do that. You actually have oh, you to just... sleeve your bare conductors? Yeah, we do, yeah. Oh, yeah, because wow. like, you guys just twist them together, don't you? Like, yeah, just not? fold it out of the way. Like, We're cowboys. Every time, <laughs> every time English electricians see wire nuts, they're like, no! <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, because we're like, so not allowed to twist wires together because... We do a lot of testing, which I think is different 
to you guys in, in the, every installation we do, we have to test it all and we have to provide a certificate with readings, test readings for all the circuits. And then every five or 10 years, that property needs to be inspected again. And you need to check the readings against the original readings of when it was installed. Holy so God. if you have wires twisted together, you can imagine how difficult it is to untwist them and separate them to do the testing. Whereas if we just have them screwed into terminals, you can just unscrew them and, it, you know, it's a lot easier. So that's so what why. Kind of, yeah. What kind of things are you testing for that you would need to go and take every single joint or termination apart through an installation? So it's not necessarily every single joint and termination, but for example, like every circuit, we have a series of tests that we have to do. So we have to do uh, continuity of circuit protective conductors, in other words, earth continuity. So that could be either what we call an R1 and R2 test, where we measure the resistance of the, the R1, which is the line conductor, and then coming back on the R2, which is the, the earth, the CPC, uh, what you call the ground, I think. Uh, so you're measuring to make sure that there is actually an earth at every point, basically. So if you've got metal light fittings, that they are actually earthed or grounded. And um, then like polarity tests to make sure that the line and neutral are not the wrong way around. And we have to do uh, what's called earth loop impedance tests. So then you're basically measuring the, the whole resistance, the whole earth fault loop path from the transformer through the circuit and back. So you basically take the external earth loop impedance and then you add it to the R1 and R2 reading to get your, your what we call ZS, earth loop impedance. And then we have to do our RCD tests. So you guys call that, I think, ground, ground GFCIs hole. or something. Yeah. yeah, so we call them RCDs, residual current devices. And we have to do tests on those uh, at one times the rated current, five times the rated current, half times the rated current to make sure that they actually trip when they're supposed to. Um, Interesting. What then, kind of test yeah. equipment do you have? Like, do you have a specific RCD tester that is all that's all it's built for? Um, you cracked up a little bit there, but I think you're talking you're asking what tester I have. Um, no, so, so we, if you're if you're doing an RCD test, do you guys have a specific piece of test equipment that all it does is test RCDs and it gives you the half value, hundred percent value? You can get those, but we most electricians use what's called a multifunction tester, so it does all the various tests, and you've just got different settings that you. So I I use a Fluke, um, which I know I think you've got Fluke out in the US, right? Uh, and it's uh, like a multi Fluke multifunction tester, so it does low resistance ohms readings. It'll do uh, it'll do, oh we do insulation resistance tests as well. I didn't mention that, but we basically put like voltage through the circuit and make sure that mm -hmm. there's no. Uh, you know, no low insulation readings. And then it will do the, the earth loop tests, the RCD tests. Um, it does like a ramp test on the RCD as well. So if it's say like, what's your standard? How many milliamps is your, your normal GFCI like rated at in, in your, for sockets, say, for example? Um, shit, I don't remember. It's a really, <laughs> it's a really, really low number. I forget. Is it for, like, because we have 30 milliamp RCDs here. So yeah. I think it's like 45 or 50, something like that. Very, very okay. low. So what this ramp test does is it ramps up and, and then when it, when the RCD trips, it tells you at how many milliamps it actually tripped and it shouldn't trip at less than half the rated, uh, the rated value of the RCD. So, okay. um, yeah, it's, it's a lot of testing involved in our installs, which, 
is why um, how being able to quickly disconnect like CPCs from from sockets and like distribution boards or breaker panels as you call them is quite important for us to be able to do. So even uh, I guess our light fixtures and things like that designed in a way that there's screw on terminations for everything because here everything has just leads and we put wire knots on it all uh, okay <laughs> yeah no here we have two types of connections in most electrical devices we have either screw connections like you know just a screw terminal or we have a push fit connection so you look a, li a little bit like do you have do you have wargos or vargos or wagos whatever you call them yeah, yeah. wagos yeah, so like the, the the push the snap down ones, the terminals are a little bit like that. In a lot of light fittings now, you just push the wire in and then it's connected. And then if you want to take it out, you just push it down, unplug. So it's super easy to to take it out for testing later. Yeah, I get a lot of people that comment. They're like, "What do you think about Wagos versus wire nuts?" And it's like most of us just use wire nuts here. The only time we ever really come across Wagos is up in fluorescent fixtures or something. Like a lot of the big department stores here have rows and rows of lighting, and so yeah. uh, each one of the ballasts will have Wagos or like a quick disconnect on the actual power leads. Uh, but that's really the only time that we use them. Or if there's like a recessed can or something like that that has them pre-manufactured that come with it. Um, so you guys use Wagos a lot. What do you think about them? Do you find any issues with like connectivity or like with uh, moisture or heating or anything? You lose uh, connection with them or are they pretty successful? They're, they're brilliant. Yeah, I've ne never had any problems with them, really. As long as you install them correctly the first time, then then they're great. Um, it's, it's funny, though, ironically, like what we do to enable testing does create more problems. So like, for example, the screw fit connections, as you know, uh, a lot of like AC current creates vibration. So over time, screw fit connections loosen mm. and then you get loose connections. So we do find a lot of like old connector blocks, you know, screw fit connector blocks that have come loose over time or not been properly installed. And then you get loose connections, you get arcing, things like that. Whereas a wire nut and twisting wires together Although it shocks a lot of like it shocks a lot of electricians in the UK, I know that it's a brilliant electrical connection. Like in terms of you know very low resistance connection, very sound connection. So in a way, you probably get less problems long term by do, by using those. I guess don't you? Yeah, yeah. There's so there's a little bit of arguments like in forums and social media on whether or not you should be pre twisting like with alignments players, like actually really twisting and then putting a wire nut on versus just taking two wires and twisting. And it seems okay. like we come across more problems with people not pre-twisting. Because once yeah. you once you pre-twist all of those, if you're not like, if you're outside and moisture and temperature fluctuations change, you might get those things kind of flexing over time and then you might lose a, a you know, your, your connection. But usually mm. inside of a house where everything's climate controlled and, and switches and stuff, and you're never gonna have those things come off. Um, it's, a, it's a really, really solid way of doing it. But you're right trying to take all the damn wire nuts off and, and dealing with all of that can be a pain. Yeah. And we have it in the UK where like we've got some old school electricians where they used to actually twist the wires together. And so you come across that sometimes and it's really frustrating because you have to like, not for example, with the, the ground wires, as you would call them, we have to un 
we have to take um, the sleeving off because they're supposed to be sleeved. Then we have to untwist them and we have to put new sleeving on the, the two separate con conductors, you know, test them and then reconnect them. So there's a lot of work to kind of sort it out and, and straightening up copper when it's been already twisted together. As oh, you know, yeah. it's quite, quite yeah. tricky to do it properly. So, yeah. So this sleeving that you're talking about, is it like a heat shrink that you have to put on or is it just like a little cover that goes over the wire? Just like a little cover. So we have different sizes, but it's usually like um, three, two mil or three mil sleeving. That's it's just very small and it just slides over the, the bare copper conductor and it just avoids kind of any potential problems, I guess, with bare copper being around in the back of a, a, an accessory. So is it something that like you have a roll of this stuff and you just cut it to length? So yeah, do you exactly, have to do yeah. it on long yeah. lengths of conductors ever? Um, um, the longest you do is probably at a breaker panel where you've got maybe like a meter of cable maximum that you've got to, you know, do it for. But in general, it's just like in sockets and switches and things where, you know, it's only about that much. So it's not really a, much of a problem. Okay. Um, but it does, it does take a bit of extra time. I mean, if you're like bashing out loads of new houses and stuff, it would be, you know, I would imagine quite a few hours would be saved over the whole lot of projects if you didn't have to do that. Yeah. So, so what about, um, you mentioned that you use that kind of flat cable where you call it like a two pair with a ground or what did you call it? Yeah, twin, twin and earth it's called. Twin and earth. Okay. Yeah. So is that something you only use for residences or do you, is that something you use everywhere? Because I thought you guys actually used cable assemblies where it was a... Um, like a cable that had three insulated stranded conductors on the inside. We use those for certain situations, but in most, yeah, in most houses, uh, in domestic installations, it's mostly twin and earth cable, uh, like you, and it's just buried directly in the walls or it's run inside the, the, sh the uh, plasterboard walls. You, uh, what is it? Sheetrock, you call it? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's just run like we do the same as you. We drill through the wooden studs, run it, you know, run it in, put um, boxes in into the, the sheetrock and then connect the accessories. That's how most houses are made now. But in like commercial and industrial settings where there's chance of like impact damage and things like that to cables or running cables externally, we have to install like special cables so we have this stuff called steel wire armored cable where it's like a black quite a thick cable with a steel wire armoring on the outside so you've got uh you've got the three copper conductors inside and then you've got a, a sort of a bedding of like insulation type material then you've got steel wire armoring and then you've got an outside pvc sheath so that if it gets knocked or hit or anything like that it's like it's resistant to impact so mm -hmm. if you're burying if we're burying cables or we're running them on the outside of a building usually we run those kind of cables interesting um, yeah okay and they they are used a lot in commercial and industrial settings as well because they have uh they're just more suitable for those kind of environments really okay so you still have uh conduit installations that you do in in like a commercial building where you have to run individual insulated conductors, right? Like you'll run um, two two twenty circuits and a, you know a ground or two grounds or something, but you're pulling individual conductors through conduit, right? Yeah, uh, sometimes. I mean, personally, we we didn't do a lot of commercial industrial work, but we do a little bit of it, and um, 
the interesting thing about conduit i'd like to ask you this are you allowed in the us to run like two different circuits in one conduit or more than one circuit say in a conduit yeah absolutely yeah 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 because we, we have are entire... oh go ahead. sorry we we are here in the uk as well but in some parts of europe that's a no-no they're not allowed because you end up having like 400 volts between various conductors in one conduit and that's like not allowed so yeah, it's interesting. Oh, see, running between two different voltage systems, we wouldn't do, you know, you wouldn't have like, um, like a 480 volt system over here and then like a 240 volt system and somehow pipe them together so that you've got two different systems in the same conduit. But anything coming out of the same panel is always going to still just have that same potential. So, um, We'll run. Do you not use like three phase panels though with single phase circuits? So like for us, us, for example, we might have a three phase panel with L1 sockets, ground floor, L2 sockets, first floor or something. But those two circuits might end up being run in the same conduit to a certain mm -hmm. point. Yeah. yeah. So then then you would actually have 400 volts potentially between L1 and L2 in those in that conduit, wouldn't you? Yeah. 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 But so anyway, it's, it's just one of those things that people in Europe complain about. <laughs> yeah, well, we even have uh, in our code book, we have like entire conduit fill uh, tables. So it lets you know, essentially, if you have all the conductors are the same size, that uh, there's a certain amount of conductors that you're allowed to put in there. And it's it's like a 40% rule, essentially, like you don't want to be filling your conduit yeah. more than 40%. So you can still pull it out or pull more things in or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's very common. Like they even show us in code how many you can put and how many you can't. And then there's calculations for if you have different size conductors. So if you have like a larger circuit, um, like a 60 amp circuit and a 20 amp circuit or something, it lets you know the value of each conductor and what its circular mills or what its diameter area is essentially. And you can calculate how many of those you're supposed to pull in. But I couldn't imagine yeah. trying to wire somewhere where you're only allowed to put one circuit per, per conduit. Yeah, it can be uh, quite quite complex. You end up with a lot of conduits, put it that way. Yeah, yeah, man. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I love working with like galvanized, like steel conduit. I love working with it. So sometimes we do it now in domestic properties just for people who like the look of it. They like the industrial look um, of those, you know, steel pipes surface mounted with like these old industrial style light fittings and things like that. It's kind yeah. of steampunk sort of uh, yeah. vibe you know people <laughs> yeah. love it uh, yeah, at the moment so we do do a bit of that in in residential properties okay in residential interesting yeah i don't uh here there's not really an like a lot of people like steampunk light fixtures and things like that yeah. but it seems like yeah. the style at least in my area in austin is still very like Spanish tiles and stucco mixed with stone on the outside of the building. It's still kind of a very like traditional uh, look, except for yeah. any like light fixtures or toilet fixtures or anything like that. That's kind of where they start to get fancy. Yeah. Um, what's your favorite kind of work to do? Like if you could just only do one kind of work the rest of your life, what, uh, what would it be? Um, wow. That's a good question. I think, at the moment, I'm really enjoying doing the electric vehicle charging installations. We're doing a okay. lot of that at the moment. Um, I don't know how it is over there for you guys, but the uptake of electric vehicles here is really like ramping up fast. So mm. uh, everyone's buying Teslas around here. <laughs> There's a lot of money around where I live as well and London. And the, the government have put in like 
they they will basically charge you for driving into London if you don't have an electric vehicle. So it kind of forces people to have electric wow. vehicles. Yeah. So um, we're just doing loads of them. And because of YouTube as well, people see our installs on YouTube and they're like, I want you to fit my electric vehicle charging point. So uh, some of our guys, you know, they end up traveling all over the country to fit charge points for our YouTube subscribers, which is uh, to fit fun. them. I yeah. like that term to fit them. Uh, <laughs> what do you, um, yeah, there's just a lot of like, you say earthing, we say grounding. There's just a lot of I know, there's so many I, things. Yeah. I know, I love it. You say, what do you you say receptacles <laughs> and we say sockets, right? Yeah. So wait, for a plug, you call the, the, the female, you call, oh God, you call this a socket? Exactly, yeah, that's a socket, yeah. Is that we, a receptacle for you or not? We call, well, yeah, this is a receptacle. A lot of yeah, people okay. call them plugs, but they're, it's, we speak very yeah, that's incorrectly. The, like, the layman's term, isn't it? Right. Yeah. The plug is the thing that goes in, though. This is the yeah. plug. This is the receptacle. But yeah, we have uh, we have cool plugs here, actually. I don't know if you've seen a British plug. Let me see if I can show you one. <laughs> um, because they look, I'm just going to make sure that I don't unplug something important. These are our plugs, right? Yeah. So they're three pin. Now this has got plastic pin because it's a class two appliance. So it doesn't need an earth, but um, yeah, they're, they're quite solid. You know, they don't like wiggle out easily or pull out easily because um, if you put strain on it, it's not going to come out. Okay. Cause it, like your ones are sort of on the back like that, aren't they? So if you put yeah. strain, they just, they just come out really easily. Yeah. Um, yeah. We do <laughs> have a lot, a lot of our appliances come with cords that are at a 90 degree angle like that, but usually oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, like refrigerators and things, but it's really only because they want to move the refrigerator as close to the wall as possible. So having a, a plug sticking out like this, you know, you hit. Yeah, you know, <laughs> it's not for like, like great design and not being able to pull out. That's kind of funny. Yeah. But yeah, for a socket, we call sockets the thing that you put a light bulb in. Okay, that, that screw shell thing. That's what we call a socket. We call it a lamp holder. Yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> what do you call the different phases of construction? So like uh, in, if we're wiring a home, uh, yeah. we call that the rough in. We're roughing in the wires. And then usually we call the trim out the part at the end where you're actually starting to put the devices in. Yeah. So we call it first fix and second fix. All right. <laughs> so yeah, first fix is the rough in, second fix is the trim out basically. Okay. What do you call it when you're, uh, when you're finished wiring and you start to actually make up all of the, the wires where you're going to put the devices in? Uh, okay. No, that is second fix. So, um, yeah, that's what we call second fix. So first fix is like putting them in all the cables, putting the boxes in and stuff. And then second fix, we actually strip the wires and connect the, the sockets all in it in the same phase so i guess our second fix is like your trim out and your what was the end bit where you put the socket faces on and stuff well no so our trim out is like we're that's where we're actually putting it, there's so many people that call them different things some people say okay. trim out is when you actually put the plates on all of the devices because a lot of people will they'll only put devices through the entire house they don't put plates on and they wait until they've tested to make sure everything works and they start using the plates as their way of identifying what is good and what is is working and they leave plates off of things that are not working so okay. some people call that trim out because you're literally just putting the trim on the devices yeah i call trim out 
when the sheetrock and paint is done and I come in with boxes of plugs and switches and everything, that phase is what I call trim out. Just putting all the devices in, heating the building up, finishing it. Yeah, yeah. But in yeah, I think when we're doing nice. our rough-in phase when we're actually wiring a place. So rough-in is generally like we're just putting all of the wires in the building. But we say ripping out or make ready when we have all the wires run, but they're still hanging out of everything. And then we're actually stripping the sheathing off and we're putting wire nuts together and making all of the wires ready so that all we have to do is walk and put a device in. So there's okay. a phase called make ready, I guess, or rip out. And you, do you yeah. guys have something yeah. like that? No, it's just first fix and second fix, really. We keep it simple. Right. <laughs> I know. Us Americans, man, we make everything way more hard <laughs> than need be. <laughs> Uh, I had a buddy this morning that I was talking to actually is funny about like language structures and um, me speaking Spanish. I've, Spanish is such a more like elegant language, I think, because I all I've known is English, but it seems like they're able to communicate ideas in less words. And it seems like as Mer Americans, we're very careless about the words that we use. So we just tend to like blurt a lot of words out and use a lot of nonsensical like we say, uh, I'm going to go to the gas station instead of like, I'm going to the gas station. It's just like we randomly fill the air with sounds a lot. So uh, it's just kind of funny that like how language changes um, depending yeah, on Yeah, I totally understand. My wife's French, so I speak pretty fluent French as well. And uh, we have the same thing sometimes between the two languages. It's really funny the different ways that we express ourselves. Yeah. But I think far fewer words are more concise and the more like more language Definitely. evolves, the more confusing it gets. Yeah, but then the English language is interesting because we do have some words in the English language where one word can explain a whole sentence in a different language. For example, I don't know if you have this word in, in America, but we have this word called eloped. We say uh, they eloped and it means when two people run away together and get married. Yeah. And that's like one word to explain a whole scenario, uh, which is quite cool. We have a few words like that, I think, and, and not a lot of languages have that. Yeah, I agree. Um, I, think, <laughs> I think in America, we tend to have the opposite. We tend to come up with 17 words so that we can be so incredibly precise about what every single part of what we're talking about. You know, even in uh, electrical code right now, we have the word grounding and bonding. And yeah. we used to have this one term called a bonding jumper. And it was basically where we brought our neutral and our ground together and brought them to one point. And uh, now there's like supply side bonding jumper, main bonding jumper, uh, system bonding jumper, equipment bonding jumper. There's all these different terms. And it's like, it's just a way for us to be way more specific about what exact part of the circuit that this we're talking about this one thing, you know, yeah. kind of crazy. Yeah, it's good in a way, but it does make things a bit more complicated as well, I guess. Yeah. Who makes your codes and standards out there? Uh, some weird, like, monkeys. I knew it! Space monkeys. <laughs> With Elon Musk as the robot. Pulling he's the at the head of everything, bro. I'm telling you, he's, he's in all of it. Uh, yeah, no, there's a, there's a, a body called... Yeah, <laughs> there's a body called the IET, the, in, the Institute of Engineering Technology. And they kind of like, there's basically kind of a body of people that are 
uh, all engineers and stuff that all have an input on the regulations and standards that come out. So uh, our, our um, regulations, like they get outdated quite often. I don't know if it's the same for you guys, but for example, every probably two years we get an update. Uh, and then we have to have a, do a new course to get up to date with the latest regulations. So we have, we're on the 18th edition of the British standards wiring regulations at the moment, which is called BS 7671. Every British standard has a number after it. So there are like British standards for uh, a plug, for example, has a, a BS number, uh, a, you know, um, a fuse has a BS number, stuff like that. The whole British standards are for the electrical wiring installations are BS 7671 and they update every few years so we've just had the first amendment to the to the 18th edition we'll probably have a second amendment in the next year or so and then after two amendments usually they make a whole new edition so it'll be the 19th edition next and it's a bit of a money spinner to be honest you know because every time you've got thousands of electricians who have to do a day's course to get up to date with the latest regulations and then something changes so We've gone from being able to fit plastic um, breaker panels, as you call them, in, in homes. Now we're not allowed to fit plastic ones. They have to be made of non-combustible material. So we have to now put metal ones in. And whereas we used to fit like maybe one ground fault detection device for several circuits, now we just fit what are called RCBOs. So it's like a built-in circuit breaker and ground fault device in one. I don't know what you call those. Is it per, you have one per circuit or you have one? Yeah, for yeah. Yeah. So in the past we would fit one for like several circuits, but now we just fit one per circuit. Uh, and soon, and you'll like this, soon we're going to have to start fitting AFDDs, which is something that you guys uh, are used to, right? Arc fault Arc uh, detection device. Yeah. Like, this is new. This is new for us. Um, I just fitted my first ones a few weeks ago uh, and did a video about it, but they're so rare in the UK. But now we're going to have to start fitting them because of electrical fires caused by arcs. Yeah, that's really interesting. So um, uh, how our code structure works is every three years, we have a couple of different bodies that make code. There's not a federal standard, but there are private companies that create code and then they lobby to the governments uh, to get their code adopted. And so some places, some state governments, some municipalities just don't even bother. Some go with a different uh, governing body. They're very similar kinds of codes, but uh, this one main one, which is the the NFPA, um, this is our book. So like every three years, this thing changes, it's, it's updated. Um, and we do the same thing every, every year we have to go through a recertification kind of test, a continuing education course. Um, yeah. but the, Does uh, anyone, sorry, Karen. Well, I was going to say with, uh, with arc faults and, and ground faults and everything like that. Uh, that's one thing that has been steadily, changing since probably i don't know 2011 20 2008 kind of it just like they slowly have been introducing new areas where all of the ground fault protection has to be and then where all of the arc fault protection has to be and now in a, in a residence it's pretty much every circuit almost every circuit has to be arc fault protected and we used to have these breakers that were called um just a standard arc fault breaker um but now they have to be a combination arc fault so they have to be smart enough to detect whether it's a series arc or whether it's a parallel arc between, you know, um, a parallel circuit 
Um, but I, there's a thing called a dual function breaker now that does both ground fault and arc fault protection. And it was funny, I was on a podcast the other day and somebody was asking me where I think electrical technology is going to go. And I was like, I really think in America, at least that we're going to get to a point that every single breaker installed in any situation is going to be a smart breaker that's smart enough to diagnose any possible thing that is going on in that circuit. And I even think that panels are going to start having smart technologies and have like a, essentially a brain that you can sense like diagnostics and each one of these smart breakers can communicate with that brain. So we just, we have a lot more information available to us um, for panels. At least I hope that's where it's going to go. Yeah, I agree. Like a company reached out to me a few weeks ago and they are making those smart breaker panels and they were like, Oh, we'd love to have a meeting with you and talk about, uh, our products. So I'm looking forward to finding out about it, but I know that it's something that is in development by a lot of uh, a lot of companies. So yeah. it's it's interesting. I mean, there's that whole thing, isn't there? I think you, I think you were talking about it the other day about um, Elon Musk and he, how he's scared of AI, uh, AI <laughs> and and stuff. I was watching something that you were talking about that, um, and I know a lot of people are like against this whole smart home stuff because it's like, what if they can just turn off my whole house? You know, what if somebody hacks the system and turns off every every house? And it is it is a legitimate kind of fear, I guess, but it doesn't seem like we're going away from that. We're only going more and more into smart homes. I mean, we fit a lot of smart lighting now and uh, like video doorbells are really big thing here. Um, See, you know, uh, cloud connected CCTV, like the Google nest cameras and smart uh, smoke alarms and uh, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It's, it's all going that way really. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's it's funny because like back in the 1980s here in the U.S., there was a big scare about Big Brother and about the government watching everybody and cameras everywhere. And that's stuff y'all are like way used to. And here we're still fighting like we don't want the man in our business watching everything that we do. So back in the 80s, it was like nobody wanted anything and they were scared of wiretapping and their phones being listened to. And now it's like, we're like, Hey, Hey Alexa, Hey, wiretap, uh, order me a pizza. <laughs> you know, it's already here. And yeah. the, they that might be able to control, like it's already such an advanced thing. Our technology is already there. So for people to be scared of it, it's like, bro, you're already, you're already so far behind. If you're scared of that, like these devices, they, yeah. this is who you are as a digital person thing so like this thing aside has every bit of information about me and my life and it's all trackable and every company that has an app is tracking every single thing about us so it's so funny that people are like well i don't want to get a a doorbell that can it's like bro that's the least of your problems yeah it's a it's a weird thing but i think we're we're way past the point of no return now really we just got to kind of embrace it but maybe the uh, the, the British people are a little bit more trusting than the Americans. Well, yeah, y'all have been monitored. <laughs> We're uh, like, oh, yeah, that's fine. You can put a camera in my bedroom. No problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Do you want one in my head too? What do you think about the, the whole Neuralink thing with Elon Musk's? Uh... I think it's amazing, but it's also a bit scary. Like, I love the idea that it could, you know, potentially cure a lot of like mental diseases and stuff like brain diseases. Uh, but I just think it's kind of mad to think that you might one day have a chip implanted inside your, your brain. You know, I don't really 
feel comfortable with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's but really sci-fi stuff, but you're right, it probably is going to happen. You know? <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, think about 50 years ago, nobody thought there was going to be this thing that I could like type with my fingers and talk to somebody in China, or I could yeah. ping a message up into space and back down. You know, they probably wouldn't like, don't do not do that. I'm not going to trust it. But it's funny. I, I go back and forth on this too, with this whole Neuralink thing. It's like the the reason we have a big bandwidth issue when we try to communicate or, or interface mm. with each other with technology specifically. So like on a keyboard, I can type very, very fast. I can get my, my message or my communication across very effectively, very quickly. But since this device, we have more information accessible to us, but our bandwidth has slowed to this to two thumbs, you know? So Neuralink, I think would be a cool thing for at least opening up bandwidth. If you could communicate through an interface somehow, just by thinking that would speed our bandwidth of communication up so, so vastly, but it also opens up, you know, like the uh, atomic technology. It was like, well, if you're working on these alternative forms of energy, it's great. But then once somebody gets yeah. a hold of it and does something nefarious with it, everybody's going to sit and complain about it. But that's always going to happen, I think, when you have some new amazing technology. Yeah, there's always going to be someone who's going to use it for the wrong means, unfortunately. That's just the way of the world. But yeah, yeah. I think, like you say, it's, it's heading that way. And what an amazing time that we live in that stuff like that is even possible. I mean, this is a sort of like thing that's always been in the realms of science fiction movies but elon musk is kind of making it like like seem like it might happen within our lifetimes which is crazy you know reusable rockets and going yeah. on the moon and, and all that stuff it, get, it gets you excited about like technology you know so i i think it's it's cool it's a cool time yeah i really like elon musk i mean i think he's a robot i don't think he's a real human <laughs> This he's just a beast, but I love ab about him that he does the things he says he's going to do. Like yeah. he doesn't look at things and try to find how they're impossible and back away from them. He's very much a, well, let's just, there's a, there's a traffic problem in LA, <laughs> you know, like 30 million people. Let's just dig tunnels. Let's just dig yeah. tunnels underground and, and try to build a new thing. And LA is just like, well, you're Elon Musk. So sure. Whatever you want to do, bro. But like he just does whatever he thinks and it's like the things that he thinks about are such highly impactful things at, at our, the level of society of humanity. He's not tackling like, you know, like toothbrushes aren't designed in an ergonomic way. No, he's like, like, how do we as a civilization figure out uh, these big, huge issues? So I love that, dude. Yeah, it's great. Um, I think we need more people like that, really, who think outside the box and, and are willing to kind of like step out of their comfort zone and change things. I mean, even within our industry, I think we could do with some of that because I don't know about you guys, but where we are, it's just so traditional. Like we're working with the same cables that we've been working with pretty much for the last 50 years. Yeah. And the installation methods are pretty same. We, we have some new tools and stuff that make it a little bit quicker, but a lot of the stuff is very, very kind of old school and nothing's really evolved that quickly in this industry. So it could do with a bit more innovation really in the electrical industry, I think. Yeah, but I think a lot of that is driven by these big behemoth companies that have been doing business and have huge sway. They're hundreds of millions of dollars big. They've been making wire and they're not going to let anybody else tell them to make any different kind of wire. You know what I mean? Like, I think a lot of, at least here in the U.S., the people that make our codes and standards are largely manufacturers. So yeah. it's kind of a, it's kind of a ploy. Like you see a lot of new codes and standards that require you to have to put certain materials in 
and it's law but it's the manufacturers that sit around these tables and sit and talk and they do get to to take public input from other electricians and stuff but they're the ones ultimately deciding what is what is what so uh, we have the very similar thing it's like we've been putting the same kind of wire in walls for a hundred years you know like the, the the wires in the last like 40 years really haven't changed at all it's it's just a very similar kind of thing we still use the same te test methodologies which are very old school um, but in our in our industry here, the majority of people in our trades are older. So like the average age of an electrician, you know, probably five years ago was about 50, 51. It's kind of lowering the more that we're getting younger people interested. It's getting to be like 46, 45, maybe. But it's a lot of older thinking people. And a lot of these companies have been catering to these older, you know, um, older methodologies as well. So uh, we have something here in the States that we call a, a, a skills gap. It's like a shortage of young workers coming through. And I think the more young people that we can get excited about like putting things together and taking things apart and just get people into the trades, I think it's going to really help our infrastructure as a country. And if we don't, it's going to really severely hurt us. But do you guys have that same kind of thing where you have a, a shortage of? Yeah, we have exactly the same, unfortunately, where, really? Um, yeah, we've got a skills shortage and there's a bit of an issue where there's, there are quite a lot of people coming into the industry, but they're not necessarily receiving the amount of training that they should. So, for example, here you can do like a six week course and then become a qualified electrician on paper. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Like, <laughs> like an independently working out on your own electrician? Pretty much, yeah. To be or what like we call it to be what we call a domestic installer so to go into people's houses and fit stuff like install wiring and fixtures in people's homes six you, weeks yeah yeah and Whoa. um it's it's crazy because you're getting these people who you know they get all excited because they want to do a career change and stuff and they're like i'm fed up of being stuck in an office i'm going to become an electrician i'm you know 40 or something and then they they go out and they do a six-week course and then and they have you know they're, they're labeled as an electrician and they can go and advertise themselves as you know your local electrician and fits install stuff in people's houses and they have whoa, no whoa, experience. Whoa. You know? They can they can own their own company as well. They don't. That's not just saying they're working for somebody. No yeah. way, bro. They, they, if they want to, they could just set up their own their own company. So, um, yeah, I, that like now there are some people I know who've come into the industry through that route, and they are really good electricians. But they've what they've done is they've done the course, but they've also then said to a, a good electrician, "Can I work with you for a year? Can I get yeah. some experience with you?" And then they go out on their own, you know, and fair enough for some people, that's the only way of getting into the industry because they're too old to do an apprenticeship. Um, they, you know, they don't have the money to put themselves through the whole three year like course. Cause for me, I was an apprentice, right? I did an apprenticeship with my dad who was an electrician. I was fortunate in that way. It took me four years actually to become a, a qualified electrician to get all the experience and do, do the exams and stuff like that. And you're there, you're doing one day a week at college and then you're working the rest of the week. So you're actually getting hands-on experience. But some people, they can't do that route. So they have to go in a different way. But unfortunately, it's sort of too easy sometimes for people to do the course, think they know what they're doing. And they're actually, 
they know just enough to be dangerous as we say you know yeah. and we come across some terrible installations that are done by not necessarily those six-week people i mean we come across installations that have just been done by uh, what i think is like just laborers and stuff and who are maybe overseen by an electrician i don't know if you have that where you are like yeah yeah a lot so um, do you, yeah so a new builds for example is classic here like we have new build houses going up so fast because they're trying to build more houses in the uk and these guys they go in and they fit out a house in a day you know and it's rubbish like trash yeah. as you would say the installation quality but they get away with it i mean do you have that yeah so here um where i am at in austin texas specifically like within the city of austin there's it's not possible for that to happen because the inspecting procedures are so um overbearing really but it's good because it means that all the installs are quality installs pretty much everybody fails inspections in austin for some thing because all of the inspectors have their different little quirks and things and you got to learn each inspector a lot of times they'll fail for things that aren't even code but it's just a preference of theirs but it's very very uh you can't do stuff like that and get away with it in austin but a lot of the suburbs and other areas like that that are booming and that are growing they will they'll subcontract out and they'll just hire some cheap laborers that uh and they just give them like i want you to wire this from here to here run a wire you know yeah, but yeah. normally these companies are are bigger so they'll have like 50 to 100 people working for them and they'll have like maybe five of those people that are electricians and those five people are charged with going around to each one of the communities and checking on the work and making and making a little punch list of all the things that were messed up um, and then they've got a little bit more experienced guys that are not quite laborers, but they're not quite like, you know, superintendent kind of level people. And they usually go back out and make all the fixes. So there is some of that kind of ramshackle, like cram it together, do it fast stuff that, uh, but it, it's generally, I think, I think the problem that we have is that we have a lot of people that have been in this for a really long time that don't care very much Yeah, yeah. more than we have a lot of people that don't know anything we kind of have both but it seems like there's just kind of a cream of people that that are really passionate about this that rise to the top and then there's the body of everybody else that's just trying to get a paycheck um does it seem like that out there too yeah absolutely and um this is one of the things i love about doing youtube really is that you get the people who really care who like yeah. want to improve they want to improve themselves and they want to become a better electrician even if they are qualified maybe or they want to, have to see how other people do stuff yeah and they want to learn more and they watch the videos and then you kind of get this community of actually people who are good or love what they do or both uh, and that's really nice but like you say when you go out there into the real world like maybe 80 percent of electricians they just really don't care and they just want to get the job done and go home um, yeah. so yeah it, it is a challenge really but in a way it has its advantages because it sets us apart from the competition so yeah we get you know we can we can we can charge a premium for what we do because because we are ahead of the competition even though it shouldn't really be like that all electricians should do a standard like we do but unfortunately they don't and so you know, people choose us because they're confident that we will do a good job. And I guess it's probably the same for you. 
Yeah, there's a, I, my customers can definitely tell there's a difference with me, but also just because I'm like, I'm emphatic and I'm like smiling and like I joke around with their kids and ask about their family and I keep track of, you know, like I just care. So there's a little bit difference in just my persona, but that thing also kind of translates into my desire to be good at what I do and to know what I'm doing and everything like that. But um, there are a lot of people out there. I'm not trying to like shit on my industry or no, anything no. like that. There are a lot of people that are very good and, and care a lot and kind of have that heart of a teacher. Um, but even, you know, even in me doing what I, what I do, there's still a lot I don't know. And it, it, mm. it's funny because a lot of people come to me like I'm this expert in the industry. No, I'm just a guy that like is just like any other electrician. I just happen to hit record and talk about stuff. And so the cool thing is I have a huge audience that reflects back to me answers for things. So when I don't know something, people will correct me. And I'm like, Oh, like in real time, I'm learning by producing content. So it's just been a great thing to be a content creator. I'm sure you can say the same. Exactly the same. Yeah. Like I've learned more from people's comments on my YouTube videos yeah. than, than probably, you know, in, in like the last two years of doing YouTube than I have in my whole career, probably because, you know, people are constantly feeding back to you and like, you know, uh, like, why did you do it this way? Why didn't you do it that way? And I'm like, hey, I never would have oh, thought shit, to do it that way. Right. But that's like, oh, man, <laughs> let me go back and do it again. Yeah. yeah <laughs> um, but you, you, you do. And you have such a great community of, like, experienced electricians who watch the videos as well often. Uh, and then you've got, like, learners who ask questions that make you think about things. So it's really cool. Yeah, it's, it's a great thing that we have this opportunity now to be able to share our work and, yeah. you know, to instead of like in the old times you'd probably do your training with one electrician and he would teach you everything he knows but everything that one person knows is not as much as everything that a thousand people know right so now you can watch lots of electrician work and they can watch you and then they can feed back and it's like this amazing kind of shared knowledge that comes with with the internet which is awesome yeah i agree well dude it was can great ask, to oh go ahead Oh, just one thing about the um, the the code thing, like the the building inspections thing, because that's really interesting to me. So the inspectors they come and actually check your electrical work. Are they from like the government or something? Yeah. So most um, most local governments, uh, like my city, will have a, a board of inspectors, and so. Yeah several like one's inspector has like one portion of the city and another one you know there's uh but these people will come to every job so when i pull a permit the city knows okay this job's being done by a licensed electrician so we have to request an inspection when we're done with our rough in or our phase one they inspect the wiring inside the walls and they give everybody the thumbs up to put sheetrock up on the walls and then once we come and put our devices in and get everything heated up we call for a second inspection for our final inspection and they come out and, and give us the thumbs up or thumbs down but yeah, it's usually a governing body. If we're in an area like way out in the country or something where there is no, you know, authority really, um, there are third party inspectors, which is just a company of, of people that will sit and like read through the code and they'll call themselves an inspector and they'll just, they'll come out and do some kind of inspection. It's usually very wrong and very yeah. like, uh, uh, they don't know what they're doing, but they're, you know, at least there's some kind of eyes looking at it. Do you guys yeah, that's not pretty good thing? though. No. So we have this self-certification kind of thing where you basically you go online and you fill out this form, which takes five minutes to say that you've 
you've complied with the building regulations and then you send that to the customer <laughs> at the end of the job. <laughs> okay. That's so funny because like, uh, yeah. y'all are ahead of us in a lot of ways, but uh, it seems like we're ahead of you in other ways too. Like it's really interesting. Your testing and diagnostics and certification for the work that you do and all of that, I think we could use a whole lot of that. But the rigor in which we put people through experience to have to be able to get a license, I think is something that I would try to probably choose to keep um but the whole six weeks to get your license thing that's that's bananas man i mean we do have these approved bodies that you have to kind of become part of to be able to do that self-certification oh okay Uh, so so like for me i've got my inspection next week from this approved body called the NICEIC, and they check me every year they go through all my papers to make sure i've got all the necessary insurance and stuff and then i have to take them around like three jobs and show them some of the jobs I've done so they can check okay. the quality the quality of the work. Um, so that is needed in order to be able to self-certify, but it's still, you know, it's once a year and you could kind of just choose the best jobs to show. Yeah. Them. So it's, 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 <laughs> you can do yeah. a lot of damage between those three houses or like, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So I think there's room for improvement. We could learn that. Sure. We could learn a lot from you guys, I think. Yeah, I think both ways, man. There's there's always room for improvement. And that's one thing I've noticed in this trade is that everybody thinks they know the way. Everybody thinks that, you know, electricians in general just think that they're smarter than everybody else and that we know more than the next guy. And I think uh, everybody kind of going about things as if they are a student rather than that they are a master would be such a more beneficial way for us as an industry to learn more, to innovate better, to come up with better codes and standards. I mean, it would just be a better way to, to seek, you know, uh, knowledge and, and you constantly learning new things. Like even as a, if, you know, if I'm doing this for 30 years, I'm still going to look to people that are, have been doing it longer. I'm going to still look and listen to people that have been doing it for less and listen to everybody's opinions and ideals. Instead of putting myself as the, the center of all things, I think just, like taking that ego off a little bit and, and like letting input in, I think it's just a, such a better way to be. Yeah, totally. It's very important. Well, dude, it was really good to talk to you. I could talk to you for like six more hours, but I, I can't <laughs> right now, but we should definitely do this again. There's tons of questions that I have. Um, yeah. Maybe next time we'll like, I'll go look at some videos of some electrical installations or materials or whatever. And I can have some things to ask you specifically about like, what is this and why do you do this? And then have you do the same thing about like stuff here in America? Yeah, that'd be really cool. I'd love to do that. It's been great to just have a chat to you. Really, really enjoyable. And uh, thank you for having me on. I really appreciate it. Yes. Yeah, um, shout out your, all of your socials and your, like, where can people find you? Yeah, so search on YouTube, Artisan Electrics, like this. That's the logo. Um, on Instagram, at Artisan Electrics. Twitter, at Art Electrics. I think uh, Facebook page, Artisan Electrics. Yeah, just uh, follow it. Mainly on Instagram. I post on Instagram a lot, and I post, obviously, on YouTube three videos a week. So head over and subscribe to the channel. That would be great. Do you do, like, a Monday, Wednesday, Friday thing? Uh, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, 8 p.m. in UK time. So, uh that is morning for you, I guess. Yeah. It's yeah. Probably, no, it's probably like lunch. It's 5 p.m. here now, and it's probably 11 a.m. there where you are, right? Yeah, it's 11.17. Like okay, so 8 p.m. is like uh, 1 or 2, uh, so 5, 6, 7, uh, 2 p.m. Uh, your time. So, right. uh, yeah. Cool, man. Well, have a good day. Stay safe out there. Um, keep doing great work, and uh, I'll you. talk to you soon. Yeah, you too. Take care. Bye.